two murders cause chaos on Ferrix. An Imperial garrison is raided. The seeds of rebellion are formed and more as the Skyers are back to review season one of Andor. Hello there, welcome back to the sky, guys. You're wrapping up our coverage of Andor Season 1 here, all 12 episodes of the books, and as is tradition, we do our full season wrap-up here. I'm one of your host, Mike Phillips. Joining me today, the man's voice of your narration every single week, Pete Consor is here. Pete, how are you? Doing well. We're uh, we're at recap episode. Time flies when you're having fun, so I'm glad to hear what you guys think about the full season. I know last episode we try uh, our best not to do an overall talk, but uh, I'm excited to see what you guys thought. Did it feel weird this morning not to wake up and have a new episode of Andor waiting for you? Yeah, I mean it's a Tuesday, so I think tomorrow will be a little bit uh, a little bit more so. But uh, yeah, yeah. Also with us today, the head of the Bureau of Standards, this podcast, Nick Friday is here. Nick, how are you? Fantastic! Can't wait to talk some Andor, and we got we got a special guest here who I can't wait to hear his thoughts as well. And want to talk about you know we talked about all the episodes but as pete said it's a little different we talk about the whole season so let's get into that absolutely here also with us today the honorary fourth sky making believe his fifth appearance on the podcast coming according to slides from the imperial senate mike brescia is here mike how are you hello mike i'm doing great you said fifth time i can't believe it yep. right as pete says time really does fly when you're having fun right yep uh it's, it's great to be back pete good to see you nick good to see you as well Mike, I know you said before, you see me uh, in the Imperial Center right now. I'm sitting where E.T.'s people are, right? The Asogians from Phantom Menace. Yeah. Currently sitting in their little uh, booth right now. It's a little dead behind me, but, you know, what could you do, right? It's after hours, so. If you see Baylor, anyway, if you see Baylor <laughs> Gannis, say hi for me, because he's supposed to be on the season and give me a win in the draft. He didn't show up. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell him. You know, he's a real piece. Let me tell you that one. Yeah, Mike, since we haven't had a chance to talk to you this season here, what do you think about the show as a whole? Because obviously Andor has gotten so much love in the press and the mainstream audience here. What do you think about what we got this year? You know, it's really incredible, right? When you when you think about it, we, we got something that we never really got with Star Wars before, right? A, a different show when you relate it to, you know, Book of Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, it really took a, a sidestep and uh, it was really like a breath of fresh air, right? It, it kind of reminded me almost like Game of Thrones with all these new characters coming into play, you know, so many different uh, situations going on and how they all kind of come together at the end. So uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was something that uh, Star Wars really needs. And, you know, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to seeing how, uh, you know, Star Wars will progress on. Yeah, and Nick, speaking of the breath of fresh air here, correct if I'm wrong, is this the first Star Wars property where a lightsaber is not lit in any form? I think so. Because yeah, I, I would go, I was going to you because I don't know about Resistance. I didn't get to watch that yet, but I was wondering if anything popped up there. Well, I didn't watch all of it. I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. But besides yeah. that, I think so. I'm sure there's like comics that don't have a lightsaber or something like that, you know, but it's like sort of like the mainstream, like mainstream, like visual, like canon, whether it's like movies or shows or stuff like that or video games. 
did Bad Batch have lightsabers? I can't remember. And the, at least in the beginning, yeah, because they had Order sixty six. Yeah, sure. yeah, they, yeah. I think uh, David Balaba had flip, had her lightsaber lit, and she was fighting the clones. Okay. So well, that, yeah, I mean that's the thing, Mike. Right? Like when you say that there's there wasn't a lightsaber lit up in this show at all, um, but the fact that it's still, you know, it, it, it was real Star Wars, right? It, it really dived into all the situations that we've you know come to know about in you know the original trilogy you know all the events that led up to that so you know really getting a chance to dive in and seeing what built up uh, I, I thought it was amazing i really really enjoyed it it gave a lot of uh yeah, a lot of development to you know what we know so it, it was fantastic it absolutely was. Before we dive deep into the recap, Pete, people want to subscribe to us on the podcast. They can check us out Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all these little suspects. If you follow us on Just on the Suffering, I'm going to give you guys the, the uh, this season recap in there because Andor is so popular for everybody. But you want any of the stuff we're doing after this, which is, you know, we got a couple things in the hop for December. We got some bad batch coverage. If you want to hear from us before Mandalorian, make sure you subscribe to this feed. Absolutely. You want the most up-to-date uh, information from us, so definitely subscribe if you haven't. Um, if you've listened to us before and haven't subscribed, like I always say, what are you doing? Get on that right away because you, you don't have to wait for the content. Yeah, you don't have to wait for it. And Nick, if you want to follow us on the Instagram, how can you do that? Sky Guys Podcast on Instagram. Post a lot of the episode clips and memes there. You can, that's where you can find us and get in touch. Absolutely here. And Mike, if you want to check us out on the YouTube version, it's Mike Phillips on YouTube here. And video version, we have all the graphics, all the props, and little teaser for our future stuff here because Mandalorian is coming back. Here's our Lego Mando here today. Nice. Where's the, full, where's the full collection? Right now I have over here, I have uh, Grogu, Mando, Lego Ahsoka. I have Lego R2 over here somewhere too. I haven't broken him out in a while. Right. I do have also Obi-Wan and Vader brick that I'm not built yet, so they're going to get added to the pile soon. Well, I'd imagine they're not hard, not long to build. They're small. No, they'll take about like me, like half hour total. Okay. Right, right. You said about could I, could I spend on on those? Yeah, yeah. They're about a hundred pieces per. So, all right. Let's get to the Star Wars news here, Nick. What do you want? We want to get to let us know about this week. Um, two things. Uh, we had kind of held off on this last week, but there's kind of some information on Andor season two, and that they started. You know, I guess production. This doesn't necessarily mean filming, right? Well, they are filming right now. So they started filming. They started production, what, a couple, like a month ago, maybe? I think it was literally, I think, like two days before the season one finale aired, they started production. Okay, so yeah, production's going, filming's go, filming is going, all that. Um, we know season two is going to be, I think it takes place right after, but it's going to be over the course of like four years. So maybe a time jump of a year. He said a big time. I know Tony Gerwise did the rounds doing a bunch of interviews. I know he said big time jump between where we leave casting the finale to the start of season two. All right, so probably I would say a year, because yep. I know they've mentioned before that it's going to go from 4BBY up until basically Rogue One, so I would imagine we'll jump a year, and then we'll go from there. So I can't imagine this comes out until, unfortunately, 24. Labor Day 24. Yeah. And, and at the same time, Mike, with how like good this show was, this did take about the same amount of time, about two years from start to finish, you know, COVID was sort of thrown in there, like... Give the give Gilroy and company all the time they need to get this correctly. Don't rush this thing out. Like we saw, like the the other two shows, feel like it has an issue of getting rushed out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they need 
the time to create a good show like they did with Andor the first season, then by all means, you know, we're willing to give that amount of time. You know, the thing is, we don't want to see a show being rushed, right? We, we want to be able to see, you know, great content, you know, great story, you know, well put together, just like season one of Andor. So let's expect that for season two, right? Yeah, let's expect that for season two here. And Nick, what else you got? Uh, the last piece, second and last piece, is that this Disney Plus series, Andor, finally beats House of Dragon to become the most in-demand new show on all streaming services. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Yes. The problem is House of Dragon ended five weeks ago. And it took, it took until this weekend for Andor to pass it in the ratings. Meaning people were watching House of Dragon four weeks after it after it ended over new episodes of Andor for the past four weeks. This week it finally was overtaken, so it sounds like good news, but in reality I think it means is not very good. It also mentions here in this article from the comicbook.com that uh, the numbers, if you will, are lagging behind Obi-Wan Kenobi and Boba Fett and far behind the Mandalorian. So, so far, Andor has been the least successful in terms of viewership live-action show. Yeah, P, I will say to that point, I do feel like that there's now going to be a lot of people who are just like catching up or waiting for the whole thing to be out because maybe they watched some years and said, oh, this is too slow for me, so I'll wait for the whole thing. So, we're going to see how this tracks the next few weeks, see like if the numbers stay, if they stay on top of the streaming charts for a few weeks. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of people might be just waiting. I know a couple people that I recommended the show to. I said, just wait till it's all out and then watch it. Um, but you know, I, I, I think it's suffering from a lack of fan service, right? I mean, all these shows that have the viewership, everyone was looking for Darth Vader, Boba Fett, you know, characters that we, um, I don't want to say are invested in more than Andor, but I mean, I, I had a couple of fans, uh, friends of mine who were fans of star Wars saying, who cares about Andor? I don't care about Cassian Andor. So I think until word of mouth kind of brings this show to light as one of probably the, the best live action Disney Star Wars that has been out. Um, I think we're going to see those numbers lag behind Obi-Wan, Book of Boba Fett, especially because that's literally all fan service. Yeah, and Mike, before we move on here real quick, I do think it's interesting here. I do feel like the word map will help this show in the long run. I mean, like, I remember early in the year, I was looking at, like, my, so my, I'm the Justin Suffering do the pop culture party run down at the end of the year. Like, I was saying, oh, Stranger Things will be the biggest thing this year. That's sort of completely faded now because I feel like the entire debate right now at the end of the year is, which of these like prestige shows is the best? Was it House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, and or in fact that Star Wars had to show this conversation? I think is very big for the franchise as a whole. I think so too. I think so too. And and Pete, you know, just real quick going back to uh, you know what you said about you know, your friends who are fans of Star Wars. You know, I, you have a point where those shows like Book of Boba and you know Mandalorian bring it back. You know, characters that we know that does provide the fan service, right? You know, because, you know, there's definitely a connection to those characters, to that story. But they have to understand that the beginnings of the original trilogy, right, what leads up to that is factored in with this show. So if you can kind of make your friends understand that, you know, being able to encompass the, the whole idea of what Andor is all about, Right and how it feeds into the original trilogy, and then from there, that's how we get all the characters that we love today. Oh yeah, right? I mean, it's all connected and it's 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 amazing. 
So, oh yeah. These are, these are accounts of, of when the show first started or even before it started, I was saying, Oh, you guys going to watch Andor. And they were like, no, I don't care about Andor. Like what, you know? So, and as, as the, the show went on, I, I, honestly almost pretty much what you said i was like listen this is literally the start of the rebellion like we we actually get the actual start of the rebellion right now like we've gotten like oh it's been around for a couple of years you've gotten all the kind of work work arounds of of how it started and we kind of got stories we never actually saw it i'm like you're literally going to see it step by step however um and we'll talk about this i'm sure in a minute when we say what our general thoughts of season one are um i did tell them like hey i would wait until the whole season's out I, i wouldn't do it week by week i really would um, and we'll talk about that in a few here. Yeah, and Nick, also, before we wrap the news here, we'll point out here that this last week did see the two episodes air on all the ABC networks and Hulu and stuff. So wonder me that drew some drove some people to this to Disney Plus start watching it that way. Maybe, hopefully. I mean, in terms of quality, I think this show is top top notch, but if people aren't watching it, like at the end of the day, does does Disney care if they make a great show and everyone loves it and it gets best reviews ever and they lose all their money? No, they'd rather have the worst show that they make a ton of money. And if they're not they're not selling subscriptions because of the show, that's a bad thing. So, interested to see where it goes from here. The other point, though, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna win. They're probably winning some awards for this show as well. So you know, like prestige and buzz will also get, hope. Pe- get people Let's like hope. like if it wins, I'm hopeful. Awards, I'm hopeful too. Yeah, I think they deserve it. And I mean, it only has one more season. So I mean, at this point, like they're already pot committed, so they're already filming season two. So now they're gonna cancel it because people didn't watch it. Not gonna cancel it, but they might not be happy with the product and might may do may do things in a different direction. Why bother putting in the effort and all of that to make a great show like this? People aren't gonna watch it. You might as well just throw flashing lights and Darth Vader and everything, and everyone's gonna eat it up. Yeah, well, that's yeah, a- like actually real quick, just just to add into uh, this conversation. I know, you know, with Disney, you know, Bob Iger stepping back in yep so i wonder what kind of perspective he's going to bring back in and what decisions will be made by disney to you know carry forth star wars yeah. right will, will they will they attribute to more fan service shows or will they go more towards bringing original content you know stepping away from all of that kind of content with star wars bringing new stuff in yeah i wonder how they'll do remains to be seen yeah that's a long-term question that's the other news right nick that's it on the news. We can get into season one. All right. Let's go season one here. Big picture here, because obviously we have now the complete all 12 episodes are out. We've seen all four arcs play out here. Pete, give me your general thoughts on what this season ended up being for you. Yeah. I mean, this was a, a very nice surprise. Um, not to say that I didn't think it was going to be good from the from the get go. But I think, you know, everyone has said this, even Mike Brescia it's a breath of fresh air, right? I mean, this is something that we haven't seen before. We didn't even see a lightsaber like we talked about earlier in the show. Um, I do have to say its strong point was its long game, but its weak point was the short game. I think episode per episode, we may only had one or two episodes stand alone as a really great episode. But overall, the season, I would I would rank it probably the top live action Star Wars show that has been produced. Episode by episode, I I I don't know how it stands personally. I think it's pretty low, but as a season as a whole, the story, the world building, I think it's the top. Yeah, Nick, I love the point you read out the world building too, because this is a show that like I mean, we made fun of this all season. We had this character draft every year. We were, oh, we are like, who's gonna show up in this show? Like, we had nine picks. We went zero for nine in terms of cameos because they only had three legacy characters in the whole show, which was obviously Cassian, Mon Mothma, and Saw Gerrera, and then. 
couple of minor shadows guys like two tubes and melshi but like they issue so many new characters and like did the work to build them up and like even the ones who were on screen at the time, you got enough of them to understand that they're more ways where I think that really helped this show stand out compared to like Boba Kabova, for example, where like, could you tell any of the four Cyberpunk Power Rangers apart? Nope. And not at all. It's a great point. It's a great point. And you'd mentioned you had asked Pete, rather, you asked him how you thought about the season overall. And it, you know, and Pete said he was pleasantly surprised, and that's great. And if you remember, if you check your feeds on July 14th. We published an episode called The Sky Guys Rank the Upcoming Future of Star Wars. And we looked at all the stuff. And if you remember, this was number one on my list. Yep. And after seeing it, it doesn't change. I think that's where I still have it. And I think this is exactly what I wanted. And I got it. I wanted I wanted to see a little more in where Mike Brescia is right now in the Senate. <laughs> I wanted to see a little more of that like in there. You know, maybe, maybe you know, I remember the way beginning, you're talking about Sly more because that was like a thing, and and maybe the Emperor and stuff. I would have loved to see that stuff, too, but everything we got, I can't complain. So when you ask me overall what I thought of the season, I'd say it's fantastic. Yeah, and Mike, I do think they did a good job of, like, what they were doing here, especially, like, like I mentioned earlier, all the new characters and, like, taking us all these new planets also, because, like, we got only, like, one legacy planet we've been to, of course, is Coruscant. Like, every, we got eight other new planets that we spent a lot of time, including, like, Ferrix, Niamo, Saldani. Like, they really gave us a wide range of, like, Star Wars worlds, too. It's sort of, like, one of the things I love about the show is the fact that they didn't suit in the volume. They actually went on location. And that was, I think, they did the show a lot. The show wasn't based solely on Tatooine, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that was a big, uh, a big feature to really expand the Star Wars universe, right? To really bring in new planets, new locations, new adventures. So I think they did a really wonderful job doing that. Um, just mimicking Pete's uh, thoughts on the show. I thought overall, you know, it was fantastic. I think we're all pretty much in consensus with that. But basically, you know, looking at it episode by episode, I do kind of agree that there was a lot of, uh, the buildup in those episodes to, you know, leading to great episodes like The Eye, uh, you know, One Way Out, you know, Barracks uh, Road, you know, all that, all that good stuff, right? We had great episodes and we had a lot of episodes that were, you know, taking their time to build the story, to develop the story. And while that's not necessarily the best for an episode in itself, it does serve a better purpose, right? And because of that reason, it created a great show that we saw with Andy. Yeah, and Pete, last thing on this, I mean, you mentioned this about how this show was going to work better and had the whole thing. I think, like, those episodes where, like, they do the necessary setup work here, like, we can quibble with how they did it, but, like, I think it helps the show, like, in, in Binge Model, where you can, like, watch, for example, episode five and go, okay, next, like, a second later and not have to wait a week in between. Yeah, and I and I think, you know, you know, Mike Brescia talks about the, the episode The Eye. I think the buildup to The Eye was actually better than the episode the eye i don't know about you guys and i think we talked about it a little bit and it was it was it was good it was still good that episode but i almost felt like this this buildup was going to be this huge raid on the garrison right this is like this is what we're working for and it was just kind of like oh okay it, it happened it was cool it was no gripes about it. it was like it wasn't like you know holy crap this is amazing um i do think the binge model is going to work in their favor like you said because at least you're not waiting i mean granted we didn't really wait too too long for it because we had the first three episodes right then and there um, it, 
I think the binge model is going to work for them because there was a lot of buildup for sometimes like an okay payoff. And I think if you're waiting weeks to to figure out what's going to happen and, and you sit there and go, really, that was it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm binging Game of Thrones right now. I think I'm liking Game of Thrones better, especially the last season, than someone who waited 10 years or eight years, however long it was, to get to that ending. Um, so I do think the binge model will work good for this season. I don't know how it will work for season two. Obviously, we haven't gotten there yet. We have a couple more years before that. Um, but I agree with you. I think that model would work better, especially for a fan that wasn't really um, dedicated like we were to watch it every week. Yeah. Let's go forward. You're talking about Cassian Andor himself here, the main character of this show. And Nick, I do think we go on an interesting journey with him where like we meet him in the beginning of the show. And as Tony Gilroy promised us, he's like, oh, this is not a guy who we see in Rogue One who's willing to do everything for the rebellion. This is a guy who sort of wants no part of it, just wants to live his own life, do, do his own thing, sort of stay under the radar. And by the end of the season... He's in Lufthansa ship telling Lufthansa, bring me in. I want to be part of the rebellion here. So I think how we went from there and seeing, as you point out several on this podcast, the ca- how he's influenced the characters he meets along the way. I think that does, they did a good job sort of bringing him along that journey. Absolutely. Said it before, say it again. His arc, I think, you know, I think we'll find out in season two for sure what these characters left on him. But I think his character was... How did this guy influence me? How did this guy influence me? Excuse me. How did this guy influence me? Bring it all together and saying, this is who I was before. And in this, this, and this, this is who I am now. And I think those people were Nemec. And I always forget it. Is it Kiro? Kino. Kino. Nemec, Kino. And then I thought Luthen, but I think it looks like we're going to see Luthen again in the future. I thought we weren't. If I had a place again, a bet on it, I would have bet that we would not see Luthen in season two. Turns out we, we almost definitely will, unless he does off screen between seasons. Yeah, that'd be a waste for him to lose Stellar Scars between seasons. Yeah, I doubt it, but could be very impactful for what it means for Cassian's character if he grows so fond of him to lose him. But again, that's something to show you on screen. Yeah, and Mike, I don't know if you've seen on the on Twitter all the memes about like the three people that like Cassie like, impacted him the most, like all, all basically dead at this point, which was basically Nemec, like his mother, and Kino, who we assume is dead, but we don't know that for sure yet. But like, I did think how each of them gave him a little bit of piece of what he needed to sort of get to the point where he's willing to go join the rebellion full time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you see Andor at the beginning, he has he wants nothing to do with joining the cause, right? So when you see his progression from starting out at the beginning of the show, right? He's just going about and scrapping, trying to make a living, right? Trying to do whatever he could do. And then just being brought in uh, the way that he was and all these new experiences, like Nick said, meeting all these different uh, people who inspired him and really impacted his ways of thinking and, you know, his, his yearn to join the rebellion against the Empire. I think it, I think it was a great way to portray that for Andor. So Yeah, Pete, what do you think about Cat what we saw from Cassie in this season, where he where he starts, where he finishes? Uh, I think it's great. I think, you know, thinking about the season, you know, today and, and since the last uh, the last episode, just kind of like recapping everything in my brain, I kind of find it a little bit funny that we have a character that in twice in the season, both main arcs has to do with he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. I mean, the, the, the first two murders and in, 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 on um, forgot what that planet was, was that that wasn't Ferrix, right? That was a different Mor- 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 Morlana one. Morlana one. Right. So so those those two murders on Morlana one, he 
was innocent. The guy was were messing with him. So one thing led to another. There's a there's a couple murders. He flees and then he turns, you know, goes to the whole garrison raid story arc. Uh, you know, then all of a sudden he's in the wrong place at the wrong time again. He gets nabbed by the stormtrooper and he gets six years in prison or whatever it is. Or and, and it's just uh it's it's not to say it's cookie cutter, but I, I hope that in the future, and again, this is for later in the podcast, but I hope it doesn't keep doing that. Um, but it was something I noticed about his character arcs. But overall, I think he executed well, and I think uh, the, the actor at least executed the character well, as he did in Rogue One. And I think that it, it worked for this season. I, we didn't get too, too much of Andor, where it was just every waking moment was was Andor. However, at least the times that we did get Andor, it was meaningful. It wasn't just, okay, we have to throw him in because he's part of the show. Nick, I think it's also a good point when Pete brought up about like the whole, like he's in the, he finds out the wrong place twice because I think most like simplistic shows would have had like, you know, him go to Aldani after he gets in trouble, like see Nemec and inspired by Nemec and immediately join the rebellion here. He, he's still not convinced and he gets himself in more trouble. He gets in prison. He sees, you know, Oh, the empire is doing really terrible stuff and they're it's hurting a lot of people. So at that point he sort of starts to realize, you know, like, Maybe I should be thinking more about helping others as opposed to just working off my own off my own interests. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna say this again at another point in the podcast. I won't I won't say when, but if I tell you the story of the show without going into detail and just kind of give you an overhead view, if you've never seen the show before, I don't think you're gonna watch it. Like if I tell you it's about Cassian Andor and he gets recruited to do a heist. And then goes to prison and then learns he doesn't like the Empire and that's the whole show. You'd be like, that sounds horrible. I don't want to watch that. And I think that speaks volumes to how great the show actually is because if you take a story that's so, in a nutshell, it's very bland. If you watch the episode, it's not bland. There's a lot more to it, obviously. But if you take a story like that and make it interesting and make people actually care, like I've said this countless times, they actually made me care about Cinta. And random characters that I definitely would not care about in another show. Oh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's what I feel about the Cassian arc is that overall, when I tell it to you, it sounds awful. But when you dig into it, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, let me, before I move off here, I want to ask the panel real quick. Anybody who here has seen Top Gun Maverick this year? I have not. I haven't. Nope. Nick, did you get to it? No, I, I, Turn my video off as a no, because my because my uh, picture here is a uh, is an N. Yeah, that's why. That All was right. my response. I won't spoil the movie, but basically, it's a very similar premise where the storyline. If I told you the actual plot of Top Gun Maverick, you would say like, okay, like why is this movie making a billion, like one point five billion dollars? But like the execution is so 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 good. I feel like it's sort of what happens here as well, where like they put so much work into this and make you care about these characters. I think it does help a lot. Cassie is the key, chief example of this. So, yeah, I, it's, I didn't see the movie, so I can't agree, but I'm taking your word for it. Yeah. Speaking of... Cal- Mike, yep. I was just going to say, not to digress, Tom Cruise is an animal. Yep. He is, he is something else. Doing all those stunts, I, I can't believe it. Yep, for sure. We'll, 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 we'll save talk on our discussion for Just on the Suffering podcast, which I think all the pop culture part this year, but another character who takes a big leap forward here, Mon Mothma this season, who is the other big legacy character, has a huge storyline here, and Mike, this is a character who, in the past, she shows up first in episode six, and she's just like sort of like the priest, priestess woman who like is leading the rebellion. We get a little bit of her in Re- in Rebel. She appears in the prequels, like in like backgrounds of scenes. We don't get much of her. She's in Rogue One, and then we see her as just a leader. 
Here we get a lot of development from Mod Mod, but what did you think about the choice to bring this character into the show and have her sort of evolve along with the plot? I think it's very important. You know, you, you see Mon Mothma to be very conflicted. You know, she, to me, I, I feel like she's rough around the edges. She's trying to do her best to do her job in the, in the name of goodness, right? In, in the name of righteousness, you know, to make sure that she's on the right side of politics. But as we've seen throughout the show, there are certain things that need to be done that may strive you away from the side of politics, right? You, you may have to do a little bad in order to achieve a greater good. So with Mon Mothma, I think she starts to realize that, and then she starts to make certain decisions. Um, you know, she is looking to, you know, get in, uh, in, in bed with, um, you know, the, the banker. What's what's his name again? Uh, 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 Davos Skeldon. Davos the Onion yes, Davos. Love that. Davos the Onion Knight. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Davos. So, yeah. So just being able to make decisions like that, she's conflicted, right? But she needs to remain strong and understand that what she does now will be able to save the galaxy in the long run. And actually, Andor even uh, reversed this in Rogue One, right? Discussing how sometimes you need to do bad to create a better good right and you've seen that nasty side of the rebellion right away in rogue one so to to, to see that and to see her uh development in that route i think was very interesting so it's well needed for the show yeah pls love it interesting of the way they set her up this season because like in the past every scene mom mom is always wearing this like plain like white like uh, dress gown thing where like she's just like you know like being very simple you know like just like like woman of the people and then here this show like they gave her like all the fancy wardrobes going to all these parties she's like socializing like and she's really in the bureaucratic high society and then like sort of like seeing her realize like I don't belong here and sort of start realizing that she has to sort of break away get what she wants to get done yeah maybe maybe she dumps so much money into the rebellion she doesn't have uh have enough money to buy those fancy clothes anymore towards the towards when we meet Mon Mothma in the original series, right? Um I uh it is interesting. It's it's it it might be as simple as, you know, that's just what George Lucas wanted Mon Mothma to look like. And now they have a more modern twist on Mon Mothma, but um it could be as complicated as what I just said. Um I, I have to say just to add, I, I didn't really care about Mon Mothma until this show. I gotta be honest with you. I was just like, oh yeah, she's there. Um but I I, I like what they did with the character. Yeah, Nick, I feel like this, This is like I said before, I think blank canvas for this character really was like, she was just generic, good, like good leader character in terms of here. And I think it made her a lot more complex. Uh, definitely. They made her a lot more complex. They dug into a lot of stuff. And and and, and I remember I had said no more than five minutes ago that I'm going to say the same thing later on in the show. This is what I'm going to say. If I told you on Mothma's storyline, in a nutshell, it sounds terrible. She takes out a lot of money to create the rebellion and she has to figure out a way to lack of a better term cover her ass so the empire doesn't find out that's about it and she goes, that's well, literally about it or try to get or try to raise more money at the same time for the cause that's it but the way she has to do that by going into the senate by dealing with people like slime Moore at this dinner that we never got with bosk with with <laughs> um um dealing with the uh who's the guy from back home i'll take all of him and Davos, the Onion Knight, dealing with all of them. 
to make this story a lot more complex than it actually was. But if it, the original story, if I tell it to you, it's just, oh, yeah, she needed to take money out and make the Empire not find out. Yeah, and you add in her terrible husband and, like, daughter who can't stand her. So, like, her, her situation, Mike, is, is very complicated. Yeah. I, I mean, Mike, I, just to add to that, right, it's... As Nick goes on discussing the the storyline from Mon Mothma in, in those generalized terms, yeah, it, it does sound pretty miserable, but it's important, right? It, it's 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 definitely a necessary step to to see, you know, the sacrifices that were made, you know, for the rebellion. You know, it's it's needed. You know, we we need to understand how the rebellion was built up the way it was in the original trilogy. You know, where where they had the resources, where they had you know the gunships, the all the, the supplies, etc., the, the manpower. You know, we need to see how that all came to be. And through Mon Mothma, through this show, we get to really see that. And that's what is so appreciative of it. Yeah, absolutely here. And Pete, one thing I think was interesting that uh, we did not get in season one, we were, we were told was not coming here. So I'm, I'm glad they actually stuck to it, is that in the in Rogue One itself, I think Cassie has a like very deep relationship with Mon Mothma, where like he, he's going directly to her with things and she's listening to him and all that. We did not get them meeting for the first time in this show. So it's like, it, it like, when in season two we see that interact the first time, we suspect it's probably something that happens off screen and sort of working together already at this point. But like, I think that's a very interesting dynamic. We get it. I mean, I'll tell you this: if it happens off screen, I think that's a missed opportunity. I think the, I personally think season two, and this is again probably toward the ends of you know looking at the rundown. This is toward ends of the of the show here. I I think season two should just be the the relationship building between Cassie and Mom Mothma. And Luthen together, and whatever. I mean, I don't know how Luthen plays a part in that kind of trio in that case, but uh, I'm assuming Luthen brings Cassian to Mon Mothma at some point. And if they do that super quickly, right before Rogue One, then Rogue One makes no sense to me. Right? You got to kind of, you kind of have to build that relationship. So um, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen for sure. But I, I hope that I hope that it happens very early in the season. Yeah, I would hope so too. Here, let's speaking of Luthen, let's talk about some new characters here. So, Nick, we have a bunch of new characters here that popped in different ways. Here, you want to talk about some of them? Give me throw somebody out here you want to discuss first. I want to talk about uh, Karn first. All right, so we'll do Karn first. So, obviously, he had quite the season where, like, he is the wannabe fascist who you know gets him like causes the whole mess by overreacting to the two murders that Cassian commits and. Start, starts a whole firestorm and gets him fired. He has to move back home. He's obsessed with Cassie and he has a he has has to get a new job, Uncle Harlow at the Bureau of Standards. He has a maybe love interest with Dedra when he who he saves at on Ferris at the end of the season here. So Nick, you want since you brought Karn up, what do you what do you think about him? I mean, I said this before. I think that Karn is a character that is going to have a redeeming arc to him, whether it's he becomes a good guy or he becomes a bad guy that we like and respect. I don't think he's going to become any, I, I, I don't think he's going to become a nothing. I, I think, I, I think it's more likely that he becomes a bad guy that we respect, but he's been so awful throughout the season. And we'll see that when we get to our MVP LVP board, I just don't think they made a character for the sake of everyone hating him. There's something more to him. And I, I just, don't know what it is yet, and I think we're going to have to wait and find out. I thought we were going to find out at the end of the season. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen, or definitely isn't going to happen because the season's over, and there's more to him, and I know there is. 
But right. just just a real just a butt in. I'm sorry, but I, I was gonna, I was gonna go to you on that yeah. one because like guys, I'm not sure how close you follow our podcast. Karn's not a popular character around these parts here. So what do you think about him? No, and and I'm saving him for later on in the podcast too when we get to the MVP LVP. We'll get we'll get to that later on. But I just wanted to say, Nick, you know, be careful what you're wishing for because look what happened to Rose, right? In the new trilogy, there were a lot of things that we were going to expect from her, right? What we saw in the last Jedi, but didn't work out that way. That said, you know, I, I'm hopeful that. People I think people. Disney. I think the reason for that with Rose is that people hated the character, and not to say people don't hate Karn's character, but people hated the Rose character for much different reasons than they hate the Karn character. They hate the Karn character because he's awkward and creepy, not because they actually dislike him. I think yeah. if he has a redeeming quality, people are going to be quick to get behind him, and obviously the acting on him is fantastic. I think that people respect that and know that, and I think with Rose, it was more of a this character ruined everything. Karn didn't ruin anything. He just sucks. <laughs> he didn't ruin anything. Yeah, and in that, I, I agree with you. I, uh, you know, I, I think he really didn't, he didn't really accomplish anything, in my opinion, in, in, in this first season. But like you said, there needs to be some kind of redeeming quality to him in season two. We're going to see him act in a certain way. He's going to help out Dedra. He's going to turn, uh, you know, to the rebellion side, who knows? But something needs to come about with them because, you know, what we saw in the first season, it didn't do it for me. Yeah, and Pete, I do think, like, I think on episode 11, we had Sandra Rose on the podcast, Apocalypse Course on Business Suffering. She made a good point. Like, Karn really is just, like, a narc who wants to be, like, in charge. And then, like, he's getting basically punked every chance he gets. And the fact that we spent so, so much time on him, I think the fact that we spent, like, all time getting to see how it relates to his mother, like, him getting the new job, like, his creepy obsession with Dedra, like, he's important to the story. I have no idea why, but he is important. He is the most important character of the story. If it wasn't for him, this whole season doesn't happen, right? If he just listens to his boss and he doesn't in investigate further and cause all the crap on Ferrix, the season does not happen the way it does. I think that even though it may not be the most liked character, I think he is the single most important character of this because he had something about him that had to go after Cassian and it continued out throughout the entire season. He was the most consistent character. He was still, you know, even though he was in weird situations, you didn't think, okay, how do you go back and forth like we kind of did with Luthan? How do you go back and forth like we kind of did with Mon Mothma? He was the most consistent. I feel like he's going to be a very strong character in season two. Um, and hopefully, I'm not wrong about this, but hopefully we do see a darker side of Karn because I don't think he work out well as being someone that helps the rebellion. I think he will, will, will work well as someone who is completely against it. So you want to see Karn go full ISP next season? I, I think I think that's the only way that everything that this season shows us is justifiable. I think if you go a season and a half, almost two seasons for him to go back and help the rebellion, I just I feel like it's a waste. I feel like if you do that, it's honestly like episode nine where Huck's like, I'm the spy. Like, wait, what? Yeah, no, it, he he's gonna say he's a Skywalker at the end, and I'm just gonna lose my shit. <laughs> the only thing I, I will say though, his relationship with his mom is very interesting. And I think one thing that I could see that that could possibly happen in season two, if he acts out of line, you know, in the eyes of the Empire. They do something to his mom, right? I think that could maybe trigger him to, you know, go towards the opposite direction entirely. But that said, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you that he's definitely going to be 
leaning more towards you know joining the empire but i'm just saying that you know it's a possibility who knows who knows what could happen all right let's go p here p give me a character you want to discuss that we haven't talked about already a new character uh, let's go with luthan yeah all right so luthan obviously we see that he's sort of the I say he's Nick Fury of this rebellion here. He's sort of meeting all the different parties here. He's keeping he's well, with interface of Ma Mothma. He runs the Heisen Eldon. He brings Andor in. Like we see that he sort of like has this double life going on where he's got you know the antique shop. He uses his cover on Coruscant. We got in the wig and he's practicing his movements. How he wants to be deliberate. And he's this really cutthroat guy when he's trying to you know connect with Saw Gerrera and talk to these other rebels and set things up and give bell orders. So. It's interesting seeing how Luthen sort of runs this whole ship, Nick, and seeing how he's sort of like our me. I sort of like the only character really connects to every part of the story because even Cassie and Mom Op are separate. He's the one who bridges every every storyline together. Uh, that is true when you think about Yeah, I think the only person Luthen doesn't have direct contact with is the ISB themselves. Yes. But he kind of does because he has a spy. Yeah. So he pretty much has direct contact with everybody. He is kind of the glue that holds the show together. And, um, Cool. Like, that's awesome. Uh, good for good for Luthen. Luthen is, in my opinion, the best character in the show. We'll get into more of our opinions on the best and worst characters as we go forward. But his arc, I, I just have one major gripe with his arc. They really didn't show this Krieger stuff enough and explain it enough to make the... the People who didn't really pay that close of attention, it could have not happened at all, and you never would have known, and it didn't impact the story. Yeah. That's my only complaint with that. Yeah, I'm trying to see that here. Because actually, I do have a question. They actually did ask Tony Gilroy about this, and Hollywood Reporter, they said, if Muddy was not watching, would you show him the Krieger ambush? He said, well, the ground rush I probably wouldn't. Our grammar is pretty rigorous. If that's that was in Krieger's speaking character or as someone that we've been with or some other peripheral character who's there or something, I probably wouldn't. We wouldn't don't ever go anywhere where one of our characters isn't walking into it, aside from the Ether and the Death Star. So we the same, like since they did not introduce Krieger physically to the show or like relate to one of our characters, they were not gonna follow him regardless. And I think they should have introduced him physically on the show. That's that's my counterpoint there. Uh Mike, any thoughts on Luthen? Yeah, well well, I was just gonna say real quick, uh, regarding Krieger. I he is what we can consider to be called a MacGuffin, right? A MacGuffin is a plot device that's, you know, in a movie where, you know, the, the object, the, the device, the event itself is important for the, for the story, but the actual details of that character, of that incident, whatever, isn't really as important. So, you know, I think we needed to understand that, yes, you know, Krieger was, you know, it, it was a part of, of the whole plot, you know, to understand, um, you know the, the situation. You know dealing with Saw and dealing with the, the sacrifices that are that that need to be made by the rebellion. You know to you know to to, to start a fire against the Empire. So you know I, I think yes, it would have been nice to see Krieger, but at the same time, you know I'm I'm okay with it um, at this point. I understand you know what what his purpose was for um, in the story. But anyway, going back to Luthen, uh, he kind of reminds me of Batman a little bit. Bruce Wayne, you know, he's kind of, you know, he has, he has his alter ego, you know, he has a shop, you know, he's a little, you know, he's a little flamboyant, a little out there, but he is a mastermind and he's able to, you know, think 20 steps ahead or at least try to, right. And, and, you know, really try to gather this whole situation together, this whole plan to, you know, rise up against the empire. So, you know, you really need to have a strong character like that to, 
to lead. And, and he is one who is the real leader that I consider, right? Like you, you can look at Mon Machna and, you know, in the original trilogy, you know, she, I, I would consider her as, you know, the figurehead of the rebellion, right? We see her turn the Jedi, you know, uh, going over the orders and all that good stuff. But, you know, you need people like Luthen who are behind the scenes who, you know, really know how to run things, right? Without them, you know, the plans won't be made. So love that about Luthen. Love him as a character. Yeah, and Pete, the other thing I, I think I'll get your take on Luthen here is obviously, like, we whenever we see him, like, I mean, he pretty much, like, is the dominant character in every conversation he's in. I mean, we saw it with Cassian. We saw it with Vel. We saw it with Mon Mothma. We saw it with Smole, like, I think it was like seeing with is, the one exception was obviously Saw Guerrero. The first time Saw Guerrero, we all can agree, kind of like owns him in the conversation, basically like, kick, like kicks his ass back out the door. And then he responds pretty well coming back to Saw Guerrero the second time and saw his man of his mind. Like, hey, I'm going to go help Krieger. We're going to go do this raid together. And he quickly like gets a hold of the situation, gets Saw to fall in line by basically, basically like using Saw's viewpoints to like guide Saw to the place he wanted to go. So I think that's an interesting development to see Luthen like warm his one slip up of the whole season. Yeah, I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I think Luthen is probably one of the weaker characters of this show, and not because I don't like the character or I don't think it's important, but there's a reason why we know Mom Mothman and we don't know Luthen when it comes to the Rebellion. I don't think Luthen's character stays strong. I mean, I think Luthen was a super strong character up until that Saw Guerrero scene. I think Saw Guerrero completely mentally just just messes him up, plays the game. Saw Guerrero knows exactly what he's doing and puts Luthen in his place. And ever since then, you see him use scare tactics instead of his brain to tell people about the rebellion. I mean, he threatens that one guy who's who's like a double agent from the Empire. He kind of threatens Saw by pulling a gun. And even Saw probably would have just been like, shoot me. He's like, I don't care. He, he was going to do what he wanted anyway. He just was swayed by Luthen. And even too, Luthen's assistant was telling him what to do at one point. I don't think Luthen is is as badass as as he's made out to be since the first half. And I, and I think it speaks volumes that we didn't know about Luthen or anything about him in the rebellion until now. Um, so I don't think his character is going to be very relevant, uh, especially after season two, obviously, because he's, he's really not. There's he's nowhere to be found after that. I mean, we don't know. He's not. He's, he could have been alive off screen. I mean, he's not destined to die. Sure. But at the end of the day, if Mon Mothma is looked at as this character that's controlled by Luthen, why is Mon Mothma heading the rebellion by episode six right or whatever it is i mean there's there's a lot that will go on behind the scenes that we will not get answers to i just can't understand how a character who is so it has such leadership qualities is not even mentioned until now um and has such leadership qualities that his own assistants telling him what to do and he's kind of like oh i don't know and saw guerrera is pretty much just beating him to every wit's end of 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 a mental back and forth and again i i don't think he won that last conversation with saw i think saw would have would have happily gone to war with him right then and there to make a point uh so i i, I hear what you're saying 100 percent, and i'm not disagreeing with that but i i just i can't i can't see luthan as a as a strong leader because uh, he kind of wavers in the second half of the season all right let's go with mike here mike give me a different give me another character you want to go to here we recover luthan and, and uh Karn here. Anybody else you want to cover? I know, like, I, at least I'll throw like at least one of the women out that we haven't gotten to yet. Well, that was my point exactly. Uh, let's bring up Dedra. All right, right. So let's go to Dedra here. Yeah. yeah. So I'll get I'll set the stage here for Dedra. Obviously, we see here she is the only like woman in her department, the ISB. She's the only one at the table and at the big meetings here. Like, she's trying to investigate what's going on with the whole like 
Farrick situation with the with the heist and like all the firefights there. Blevin, who's running that sector, is a moron and is sort of lazy, doesn't want to deal with all the paperwork of it. Dedra figures out the plan, and we sort of see her become this like leading figure at the ISB. She's sort of running the whole investigation. She's figured out the rebel plot, and then she sort of gets overwhelmed by what happens at the end of the season as he's rescued by Karn. So, Mike, since you brought her up, give me your take on Dedra. Yeah, I mean, I think talking about persistence and determination and whatnot, you know, like we saw with, um, you know, with Karn, I think, you know, she is hungry to rise up in the ranks of the Empire. Um, at first, I, to be honest, I, I was kind of thinking, might she change ships, right? Like, is there a possibility that she might jump from, you know, working for the ISB, working for the Empire to maybe joining uh, you know, the Rebellion? But I I don't know. I mean, at this point, you can see that everything, everything that she's done so far has you know, helped her case to, you know, rise with the ranks. You know, she's being... Um, you know, she's being uh, known, you know, she has, she has, you know, a presence within the ISB. So, you know, that said, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how things will move forward now that she's, you know, linking up with Karn. Um, you know, last we saw, they were both, you know, stuck in a storage room together, um, you know, unharmed uh, for the most part. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how they will team up in season two. But I think so far, she's been a very strong presence in the show. And just excited to see what it pans out for her in season two. Yeah, and P, I think also with uh, Dedra, that was interesting. The show did this groundwork where the first couple episodes we just really see her at the ISB dealing with all of like the show, like all the chauvinism and the uh, male male hierarchy, and sort of like we we're sort of built up to a place where the audience is sort of rooting for Dedra to be right and succeed at this point. And then we get the big heel turn; she gets the Ferrix and is like interrogating uh, Bix and all this. And you sort of was like. Oh, this is a horrible person. We 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 end up rooting for at one point. So this like is a very massive job of the show. It's sort of like gets behind her, and then like, oh, it, oh, yeah, you're rooting for a fascist people. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think this is the most character development in the show when it comes to a character. I think it's Deidre. I think uh, Dedra, Excuse me. I think that this character is very dynamic, and I don't think we were expecting her to be dynamic. I think in the beginning we were expecting her to be a nobody, if you will, just someone who's trying their best to, to kind of rank, you know, go up the ranks of the Empire. And granted, she's still a, a higher ranking uh, officer in the Empire. She's not, you know, just some stormtrooper running around. Um, but this was the most dynamic character, the most growth. And like you said, you, you, you're rooting for a character who is really a piece of crap at the end. Like really just like you're like, oh, crap, like this is. I don't know why I want her to get Cassian right now. This is kind of weird. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it just shows how good her character was written. Yeah. Nick, any thoughts on Dedra? I think she's a great villain. We talked about this. I don't remember when episode nine, 10, maybe I said something about how they showed her in her own element, I guess is the word. Like all the time they showed her amongst other Imperials all the time. So you were rooting for her. And then they use that to bring her to Ferrix as the villain. So it's like when you're rooting for her for nine episodes, you learn to root for her. And then when she goes to Ferrix and becomes the real big bad, you don't actually hate her because you just spent 10 episodes liking her. So if they did a good job making her a, a, the, the main villain, I would say, of the show, but not being the one that we all hate, the guy being that we all hate is the one who kicked the droid. 
that's a good point here. And let's go ahead here. We'll go to the arcs for a little bit. I want to do quick, quick uh, power ranking of the arcs here. We have the four arcs. We have obviously the introduction with Cassian, where you sort of see like he, the murders, the Ferex meeting Luthen. That arc. We have the Aldani heist. We have the prison arc, and then we have the finale here. So. Give me a quick power ranking here, uh, Pete. Give me from four to like one to four. Like, what's what's the best? What's the worst? So, so the best for me is the. Uh, and you want me to just go in order, just do all of them? Yeah, just give me a quick order. Okay, so the top one for me was the prison heist. Um, I think that was the best arc. I think it was the most uh, intricate, as well as the most uh, bang for your buck, if you will. The the actual build up and learning about the empire and seeing Cassian turn toward, I want to be part of this rebellion because of all the crap that's going on. Um, even though it's not really spoken about in the, in the jail itself. Uh, I think that was the best. I think the second best was the beginning arc, the very first story arc where he gets to trouble murders, two people um, goes back to Ferrix. Now he doesn't know what to do and he has to get out of there. The second to last arc for me was the Aldani arc, the the raid on the garrison. And actually, excuse me, I, I flipped those. The finale arc was the second to best. And then the last one was the Aldani. Um, I, I think Aldani was a huge buildup to something that was OK. Um, and then the finale, I think they could have done it a little bit better. I think they rushed a lot. And I think and we talked about this in the past episode about the finale arc. Um, I think there was a lot that they didn't show and they could have. So those are my rankings. Yeah, Nick, any disagreement on, on that order? Not much, but I have the order of three, um, four, two, one. So you have the premiere arc last. I actually did not like the premiere arc, really. And when we filmed that first podcast, I was afraid. I'm like, I'm not really going to like the show. I found it really boring, but like, I wasn't interested in it yet so that's an arc if i went back and rewatched it now i'd probably love it because i know the characters more and i understand what the idea of the show was but that was the first day it came out and i wasn't really sure like what we were getting if you know what i mean yeah mike what do you think what's, what's your order of the arc and how do you rank them from best to worst yeah i mean thinking about it i might have to side more with pete's i think through. Prison Break was was phenomenal. I thought that was a fantastic arc. Um, you know, seeing everything occur um, and all the emotions you know brought out during that arc. Right, uh, see Keno Loy right Andy Circus yep. uh, involved. That was incredible. Uh, seeing at the end you know, everyone all jumping jumping off and he can't swim, and then the fact that he you know sacrificed himself for you know all of his prison mates. I thought that was you know, that that was fantastic. So. Um, you know, and then obviously what, what, what Pete was alluding to, you know, really seeing Cassie and, you know, dive into his own psyche and his own, um, you know, perspectives on things and, you know, his, his desire to, you know, join the rebellion from there on out. I thought that was, I thought that was fantastic. And then, uh, I guess, yeah, then maybe Ferrix, right? I, I think the finale, um, because then you actually see like a big buildup, like right? a big battle occur. Right, and and that kind of like really lit the flame, um, you know, of, of uh, the rebellion there, and then yeah, then the beginning arc and Aldani, I kind of go uh, back and forth between those two. I'm not sure how to rate those. Yeah, I went three, four, one, two. It's where my order I came up with here. And I will throw one fun note about the finale out. I don't know if you guys have been following the internet chatter about this thing about the whole Marva Andor speech uh, situation that. 
apparently there's rumors on the internet that like the original like speech of the of the at the end of it basically instead of saying fight the empire she says f the empire and then they dubbed in fight after the fact so it'd be pg friendly here i wish for i wish that was true do you mean she says the the f that's not true like actual the word or say actual actual the word Uh, that would have been great just just to get it out once right and they always they always ask if you can add if you can drop an f-bomb once in star wars where would you add it i see that meme all the time yeah that would be a great spot for it (laughs) it would be i agree 100 percent yeah, Pete, would you have, would you have loved it if she really dropped the f bomb in her in her in her eulogy there? I I honestly think that this was the show. If you were going to do it, this was the more adult show for Star Wars. Kids are not watching Andor, going, "Oh my god, this is so fun!" This, this was the show to do it and get away with it. I mean, if they put the rated R tag on this and they would have done more, I think you know. And I'm not saying like Game of Thrones are. I'm talking more like language and violence. I think this this would have been the the premiere um show for adult star wars fans all right yeah i mean they they did they did say uh they did say shit in the show they did they did say that but then also you know they they had the scene with uh castle was with the prostitute i think right was the email yeah the first episode prostitute and yeah Yeah. she she was scandally clad right so i mean you know there and that is uh you know already raising the bar a little bit I mean, Pete, we did start the show going to a brothel. We should have known what we were in for at that point. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, there was definitely themes that were more for adults, right? This is not something that is going to be... It's not so thrown in your face that if a child was watching this, it was like, oh, my God, I have to explain this now. But, you know, shit was said, right? They were, he was at a brothel. He, he was in bed with a woman, uh, you know, one of the scenes. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that have those adult themes in there. Um, I know Disney's not going to go full tilt though. They're not going to make a rated R Star Wars show or film, so they 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 kind of walked the line, and I think they did it correctly. All right, let's get to now so a couple things here. Wrap up this, the uh, year here. We'll do the final MVP LEP board of the regular of the season here. We're gonna make one. We're each gonna make an adjustment here. Add MVP LEP points here. So after the finale, here's where we stand: Cassie Andor on top at plus eight, Luthen in second at plus five. Dedra, Sinta, Marva Andor, and Mon Mothma plus three. Plus two is Lieutenant Gorn and Saw Gerrera. Plus one, The Empire, Nemec, Kino Loy, B2 Emo, and Brasso. Zero, Vix, the negative ones, The Two Stooges, Gorn's Lackeys, Vel, Skeen, Te Kalma, Davo, uh, Captain Elk, and Nurchi. Negative twos are Tim with two M's, one for each M in his name. Lita, Commandant Bihaz, and Captain Tico kicked, the, kicked over B2Emo last week. Negative threes are Perrin and Blevin. And then negative 12, bring up the rear Bureau of Starons employee Karn here. So that's the board here. Let's make some. We can each add one MVP and LVP to this slate here. So, uh, Mike, is the guest. You want to start us off here? You want to add one to each one to your MVP side? So out of the MVP, I mean. You can, you can also right. add somebody who's not on the board. You can add them on if you want. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this list, and I think it's spot on. I don't know. I don't really know who else to really add in terms of MVP. Uh, just taking a look at the list, right? I mean, the show, show is Andor, right? So, yeah. and seeing Cassian, you know, build up the way he did, you know, from from the beginning to to the end of the show, I think I would have to give him uh, MVP. All right, so give, so give me another point. 
Yes. All right. Uh, Nick, you want to add another point to somebody or add someone new? Uh, no. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to add someone new. Uh, I'm going to give it to Mon Mothma because I think she is probably just like one of the best characters in the show, but she's pretty far down that list. So I want to bump her up a little bit. And I feel that her whole entire thing at the end was like a brilliant genius move that people who watched the show didn't even pick. I don't know if you know this, it's all over the internet that tons of people didn't pick up on her fighting with her husband on purpose. And people thought it was like an actual fight. And they're like, why are they just fighting? And that's weird. Like tons of people missed that. And I think that was kind of brilliant. Uh, Pete, who do you no, want? Nick, you're right. Uh, yeah, just, just real, just real quick. I mean, and I noticed that, and she knew that her driver was in bed with the Empire, right? Uh, a spy. Mm-hmm. So you, to to get all of that dirty laundry out in the open, you know, it, it giving a reason to where the money is going, right? Because her, her accounts are being depleted because her money is going to help the rebellion. So to, in order to, you know, air out the dirty laundry that, you know, her husband might be gambling and might be getting into this and that. And even though it's causing a fight between them and he's getting irate about it. I think that was integral for the show, right? And and integral for her, uh, for her being. So yeah, absolutely here. Pete, you want to add one more MVP somewhere? Yeah, I think as a whole in the show, I think Karn needs an MVP point. I think we need to get him to negative eleven. And the reason why I say that is because episode by episode he is annoying. He does stupid things. It's kind of like cringy. But at the end of the day, when you look deep into what the character is about. It makes a lot of sense. He's consistent. I think we're leading up to a really, hopefully, strong season two for Karn. So I'm going to give him an MVP point. All right. So I'm going to look at this list here. And I think in terms of characters who did not get enough attention here, and I think, Nick, I go back to the point your brother made. I bump Nemec up a point here. Because we think that Nemec ends up being one of the more important characters in Star Wars. I mean, not your brother say where he's the most important character in any Star Wars property, but I think he is more important than a pl- just a plus one. I think he should be a little higher. Yeah, I could see him as a plus two or three character. Absolutely. All right. Other way now, LVPs here. Mike, I think you have I think I know where you want to go. I mean, with with all of Pete's points about Karn, I mean, I I could see where he's coming with it. Uh and I think season two will show Karn to rise to the ranks and and and, and come through and make a difference and you know, he, he will definitely be an uh, integral part of, of season two. But just looking at season one and, um, you know, despite all of Pete's uh, uh, claims, I think I would have to give LVP to Carl, give him an extra point. Uh, Pete, where do you want to dump your LVP point? I'm going to give it to Luthen. Um, I was not impressed with the second half performance of Luthen's character. I think he went from a, a pretty good leader to a strong leader to someone who's using his brain to I have to resort to threatening people my own assistants telling me off now and Sagrera completely destroyed me um even though it's I I I don't I I see where you guys are coming from with the second interaction with Sagrera how it works in his favor but I still think Sagrera has complete control of that situation anyway I don't he wasn't he wasn't he didn't look very uh to me he looked very concerned that a gun was pulled on him so I uh, I have to give the LVP to Luthen. Uh, Nick, who are you giving your last LVP to? LVP two for the season. I'm going to give it to um, Blevin because I think Karn 
I think I agree with everything that that Pete said, and I think that if you look back at the show, if I had to pick one character who's the most insufferable, not on a per-episode basis, like, yeah, Blevin wasn't in every episode, and he didn't suck, but in every episode, but the amount that he sucked in the episode that he was in, I think, trumps all other LVPs. All right. I'm going to correct an injustice in the premiere that, that, we, that I feel like did not get addressed throughout the season. Tim needs another LVP point. Because Tim's behavior in that premiere was very hideous. And Nick and I docked him. Pete did not dock him. I'm going to make up for that here. Tim should be at a negative three at this behavior in the premiere. So I'm going to give him an LVP point to drop him down there with uh, Perrin. To be fair, I think that's on Bix. And I think that's who I gave my LVP point to. Yeah. But your pick is your pick. Yeah, I think Tim is, should be should be should not be in this pile with like Lita and Common and Beehives and uh, Tigo. I think he's worse than all of them. Fair. All right. Next up here, two got a couple things left to go here. The, we're going to reveal our episode rankings. I've been compiling them all season here. So we're going from best to worst. So here's the list here. The top episode on our board, episode 10, one way out, 963 out of 10. Then episode 7, announcement, 8.5. Episode 12, Rick's Road, 8.17. Episode 6, The Eye, and even 8. Episode 9, Nobody's Listening, 7.75. Episode 8, Darkina 5, a 7.5. Episode 3, Reckoning, a 7. Episode 4, Aldani, tied with it at a 7. Episode 11, Daughter of Ferrix, 5.5. Episode 2, that would be me, 5.33. Episode 1, Casa, 4.67. And last but not least, Episode 5, The Axe Forgets, 4.0. Nick, any reactions to these ratings? Yes. I have one reaction to these ratings. And... I think that my point of the early arc was bad kind of stands here where you have two of the bottom three episodes down there as one and two and then three, not that much further up on the list. And also four and five right there, too. So it's kind of like almost as if this show really took off in the second half. And just so you know, I did a quick average of everything here. The average episode rating was a 6.9. Yeah, so that- I would I would argue the show if I had to give it a rating was better than a 6.9, which goes to Pete's point earlier that a by-episode basis called this show a 7. By a show, show basis, I'll give this show, I'm going to give it a 10, 9.5. Yeah, and Pete, I do think it was interesting here that we ended up with, like, eight of the episodes had 7 or higher. So, like, the, the it was consistently, like, very good. Like, there were very, there was obviously some big highs, like, we had with One Way Out. But I think, like, as a whole, I feel like, you know, there were some weak points, and we were right that your episode five, like the actual guest, the one that you said was the worst episode of the show, like did split out to in our ratings. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think, not to say that uh, we have recency bias, I, I do think at the end, maybe for the next season or something, we, we re-rank and really think about this, only because you can watch it and say, I'm going to have episode nine, it can't get any better. And then the next episode's like, well, I give it a 9.5 because there's a little, th- like, I feel like we're, and it's human error. It's not perfect. No one's perfect. I When you look back, right, and, and Nick said this about the arcs. When you look back, he hated the first arc when he first watched it, but seeing the rest of the show, he might love it now, and he may re-rank that, right? When you compare it to all the other arcs, the first arc, I think, was incredibly better than the second arc. And not because of the information or what exactly is happening, but because of the actual consistency in the content Right. The second arc to me had a lot of build up for like, uh, okay, 
this is this is what happened. Cool. They stole some money. It's fine. They rushed through it. Things happen. Fine. Whatever. I, that's just my personal opinion, obviously. So humor error aside, this, like you said, paints a huge picture of how, and Nick was saying this, each episode you had as high as almost a 10 and as low as a four, right? For a show that we're, 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 I think, all consistently saying was the best live action Star Wars show that Disney has produced, for it to have episodes 5.5, 5, 5.33, 4.67, and 4.0, a third of the show almost average and below, but yet it's the best Star Wars live action show, shows you how weak they were episode per episode. Yeah, Mike, any thoughts on the list? And Mike, before you even discuss the list, just know, and the people who don't know, who are not regular listeners, when we do these rankings, Mike, if I were to tell you I got a 50 on my test, I failed, right? That's terrible. That's a bad grade. Here, we're not doing it like that. Here, a five is it's average. Five out of ten is in the middle. So, when we, you know, we give an episode of four here. It doesn't mean it failed. We hate it. Absolutely. It means it was below average. The yeah. 5.5 yeah. is... is an average, not a failing grade. Yep. No, that makes perfect sense. And just looking at the episode rankings here, right? One way out, agree 100%. The axe forgets, agree 100%. Right. And I guess alluding to more what Pete was saying, I think giving the show another watch and understanding how all the different arcs, how they have meaning to the rest of the show and how they all come together. I think that could always spin a new perspective on you know what you, what you can take from the show, and I agree that you're know, looking at it from an episode by episode basis. Um, you know, like we had said before, you know some episodes can, can feel being drawn out, you know, not too much going on, but the importance that those episodes have to the show as a whole, right, creating that synergy that Andor produced, um, you know, it's important and it's necessary. So, yeah, I just going back to the rankings here. I, I agree. I agree with this list. All right. So that's the list. It's a good spot. We'll touch on this again in a few, few weeks. We'll, we'll discuss this a little in further detail. Last thing here. We know we have season two coming up here. And we do have a lot of interesting stuff coming up here. I do think that we obviously we have. We know for sure that K2SO is coming up. This is information based on uh, interviews that Tony Gilroy has done. K2SO is going to be here. We're going to have four different arcs. One from four BUI, three two and one that goes right into Rogue One. Literally, he says, the last shot of the show is going to be him like getting on the ship, getting ready to go for his meet. That's going to be the final shot of the show. And the other thing we know here is that according to an interview he had with The Hollywood Reporter where he talks about this and they talk about season two. He says, the uh, this question is being asked here. says, in season two, your three episode arcs will currently cover a year each, but how exactly will that work? Will be time between episodes or within each episode? And he says, they're actually super condensed. They're like three days, four days, two weeks, four days. They're really tight. It's cool that way. That's exciting about it. You can go away for a year, come back for Friday, Saturday, and suddenly then jump a year. So it won't be spread out. It be like block two takes place over another year. So they're very contrary, which is fun. And then you have to account for all the negative space when having the interim. So, Nick, any reaction to that? No, I think it's a good thing. It's how you do, that's how a movie works. That's how a trilogy works. Like when you watch the original, The New Hope, how long do you think that took? Three days? Yep. And then they jump forward a few years, right? Or a year. Right? Then yeah. they, or three years, right? Yeah, three years. Then they, how long was Empire Strikes Back? Two days. And they jump forward another year. Like, that's how they always did it. All the events in the movie take place 
within a couple days, a week tops, two weeks, and then you jump forward a few years. So I don't have an issue with that at all. It's almost like they're making little movies. Yeah, P, I do like this a bit. I do feel like if they try to do it, oh, like, here's something from, like, January in, in 4BY. Oh, now we're going up to June 4BY. And I feel like that would be more confusing if I was like, oh, here's the most important thing that happened in this year. And, and now we're going to jump forward another year. You can try to figure out what happened in between. I do think that makes more sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I think um, I need to kind of see it before I judge it. I think it can go very good or very bad. Um you know, uh, not to say that people don't like how shows rush through things, but do do we have an episode count? Is it 12 again? It's 12 again. It's four or three episode arcs. So you're going to have four years, right? Yep. In a 12, a 12 episode show where in season one, they had, what was it, a month? About, probably about, I'd say it took about, I'd say probably like six weeks. Right. So you're, it's going to be different. So if they execute it correctly and it's seamless, I, I more power to them. If they don't, it's gonna it's gonna compare heavily to the you know the rest of the season. I mean, I, I I've been watching Game of Thrones. I still haven't finished it yet, but the biggest comparison I've heard about Game of Thrones, and granted, I, I don't want to say that Andor fans are as committed as Game of Thrones fans are, but they said that you go from having ten episode. You know, 10 episode seasons where they flush out every bit of detail and then all of a sudden they go to six episodes and they're just jumping all over the place and they don't like it because they felt like they rushed it. So I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. It can go very well or it can go very bad. Yeah, my other guy's interesting also is that when you look at this model here, it's like obviously like we introduce so many characters, and a lot of them are still alive. So like if you want to bring like, you know, like Brasso in for the four BBY arc, it makes sense. You can, we know what he is and what he's up to here, but like, I feel like this might lead to them going to more like, you know, established characters where we don't have to spend time getting to know them or their motives where like me, you know, we bring in like Moff Tarkin or Krennic or Bail Organa. I think like those characters will appear, will start appearing more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, no, sorry, Mike. No, wait, wait, no, that's okay. No, if you, if you want to share your, uh, no, that's that. It's all you. My apologies. No, no, it's all right. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, um, I agree with that 100%. Um, that being able to rely on characters that we already saw their development, we know who they are, you know, bringing them in for more, uh, you know, a more speedy time frame, like Pete was talking about, right? How, how, how the, you know, the timeline's going to be, you know, expanded, you know, across four years and only 12 episodes. Um, I, I think I think that's key. Another thing to consider too is that um, you know a lot of the characters that we already met in Andor, right? We we already got to know them and understand them. We took all this time to you know understand their characters. So to see them in season two, you know, we don't need to spend as much time to you know gain further development from them. So. Yeah, Nick, I think one other thing I want to watch here for season two, obviously besides the K2SO and these arcs here, is like this show is not going to be running basically simultaneously with Rebels. And we know that, like, we already know what happens in Rebels. We've watched that show here. So, like, do you like do you think we'll get, like, any sort of, like, Rebels crossover here or some of these Rebels characters will be appearing live actually in season two of this show? No, but that'd be cool. I don't think we'll get any of that, but that is very cool. Yeah. I actually... Wouldn't I don't think we're getting any of the rebels themselves, although that would make sense because they're in the, the base with them and all that. But I think we're gonna get, I really think we're gonna get Agent Callus 
And if we carry these teams over to season two, um, I think Pete's team is looking pretty good. It'd be cool if we got a great Admiral Thrawn in there working on something else before he goes to deal with the Rebels. Well, it would be cool, but I think what this show is trying to avoid is the big time cameo. Cameo, and Agent Callus isn't that. It's just like, oh, if you watch Rebels, you'll know who Agent Callus is, but it's not going to take over the scene or take over the screen like when when we see uh, Cad Bane or whoever it may be in, in these other shows, they they just take over the scene and that's all you care about. And after the episode, it's not even, was the episode good? It's, oh my God, I saw Cad Bane. Yeah. So I think that's what they're going to do is someone that we wouldn't even kind of realize. Like there was, what's his name in this one? The one from uh, Rebels and, and the original. Oh, Hugh Lauren. Yeah. Or one like that. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I could see the, you know, like smaller characters, like me, like, like and I, like oh like this is Admiral Price we saw her in, we saw her in uh, Rebels and like she's we work, me working on this station for a little bit then she goes back. Yeah, I think Nick is absolutely right. I think those are the kind of cameos that you need for this kind of show. You don't want the cameos to overpower what's really what you're really trying to say, right? You're really trying to show. I think if this show was overrun by cameos, I don't think people would understand the ramifications of this rebellion not working out correctly and, and how much stress Mon Mothma's under or how much stress even Luthen's under. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that would you would lose that kind of appreciation if you had a cameo of, let's say, you know, I don't know, if you had, like, the Rebels just show up in one of them because then all you're thinking about is, like, holy crap. Like like Nick said, there's, there's the Rebels in live action. We haven't had that yet, so. Yeah, fair point. And Mike, last thing on this topic here, one thing interesting here, because this is only the second show has gotten a second season in terms of a lot of action after Mandalorian. And Mandalorian season one was very much self-contained in its own thing, where, you know, we didn't get, we got, like, all new characters in this show. And, like, the only real piece of, like, canon we had was, like, we had the Darksaber show up at the end of season one. That was the only thing. And then season two, they started going crazy, where we got Ahsoka and Bo-Katan and Luke Skywalker and all these other characters showing up here. So I wonder, like, if this sort of saw the same deal where season one, you know, we introduce our base characters and, you know, we're not going to do too much. And then we start going the toy box a little bit more for season two. I feel like that could be a thing. Yeah. I mean, I can see that too. And, and we were kind of talking about that before. Uh, I, I think being able to introduce your own characters in first season and then re- relying on more well-known characters, especially as we get closer to the events of the original trilogy, right? I, mean, we, I think, we kind of want to see some of that interaction in the characters that we know. Um, that said, right, we also need to see what happens to some of the characters that we met in season one, you know, that don't show up in, in the original trilogy, right? I mean, you know, going to Luthen, you know, what happens to him? We need to understand, right, what happens to Luthen by the time, you know, Rogue One comes, right? Because he's, he's nowhere to be found there. So to see an important character or see a m- multiple important characters, such as Luthen and, and others, right, who, who come to uh, know the, the first season, you know, what happened to them, right? We need to have some sort of understanding as to why they're not in Rogue One, why they're not in the original trilogy. So yeah. I'm looking forward to see what they do with that. Yeah, Nick, speaking of Rogue One, I do think it's, it's more tempting, they might be more tempting to bring in some of the Rogue One characters that we see. So, oh, where are they in the lead up to this? Like, in terms of, like, maybe you get, like, Bay's Malbus or like in, an, like in an episode or something, or you get Krennic, or you get like I don't think you get generous. I mean, some of the mi- more minor characters, maybe the pilot Bodie Rook, maybe you get see him somewhere. Maybe, but he's part of the Empire, and I don't know how much we're getting in with the Empire and the random everyday pilot. I think if we're seeing anyone, we're gonna see people like we drafted. I think like General Draven, Agent Callus, guys like that, because they're not gonna take away. Not that 
Bodie Rook would take away from the episode or anything like that, but I just think that we're going to get those kind of people. All right. I think it's a good place to leave the episode here, and we're going to be back next week. We're going to take a break off here with Pete. We're coming back with some special bonus coverage here because while this is all going on, we got a drop of Tales of the Jedi. We did not get to it during the season because Andor was so much. We're not going to go back and catch up here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, I am waiting to watch them until pretty much right before we do the podcast so it's fresh in my mind so you'll get a genuine reaction from me and not something where I'm rewatching it. Um, not that a rewatch would not have me a genuine reaction. But yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, and guess what? Not once did I lose the mute button today. So that's a personal record for me. Just wanted to throw that in there by the end. Yeah, it's good. the whole thing is going to take you probably about like, Nick, what you say, what, about like an hour to watch the entire uh, thing? Uh, at most an hour and a half, somewhere between somewhere 75 minutes, we'll call it. Yeah, I think it's solid. I think there's there's long as it's like 20 minutes in the short, it's like 11. So they're all like about like 15-ish usually. Yeah. Including yeah. Craig's. I, I watched them. I'll watch them again. I watched them all, but I will watch them again in preparation. Yeah, and Mike, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. As, as our fourth Sky Guy season recap here. People want to follow you on social media. How can they do that? So if you want to follow me, uh, my tag is Breshinator, at Breshinator. And I said it before, I'll say it once again. We have Nicholas over here, who uh, is the originator of that name. So blame him, right? He, he caused all this madness. But anyway, um, you can reach me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. And just want to say thank you guys again for having me on. I always uh, have a great time talking about Star Wars and uh, you know, looking forward to uh, more good stuff to come out. Absolutely. You're Pete. People want to follow you on social media. How can I do that? At PJ Considori 29. I'm banging my head against the wall because the Rangers. But other than that, just retweeting this. All right. That's good. And Nick, one more time. If you want to follow the Instagram, how can I do that? At Sky Guys Podcast. We'll see you there. We will see you there. You can also follow me on Twitter, MPHILIPS331. It's MPHILIPS331. Coming up this week on the podcast, do a Jets episode. Talk about all the fun stuff with the Jets. And Nick, another member of our softball team, Joey Castellano, is going to be on doing the NFL picks. That's going to be fun coming up here this week. And until and we'll be back, we'll again, week off this week after the episode. So we're back second week of December with the uh, Tales of the Jedi episode. But until then, may the force be with you.